Have you ever noticed that things seem so much worse in the middle of the night? So the other night, my middle daughter, Eliza, she came into our bedroom and it was the middle of the night. It was pitch black and she said that she felt funny. Now, this isn't an uncommon thing in our house. Like, I mean, kids are kind of in and out of our room all night long, and they kind of snuggle up for a few minutes, and we force them to go back to their bed, basically, and all that's right with the world for a little while. Now, this time didn't quite end up that way. So she's laying in the middle of the bed between my wife, Abby, and I, and I thought that she had dozed off, and, and I was wrong. She, she sat straight up in the bed, turned towards me, not my wife, and threw up everywhere. And when I mean everywhere, I mean everywhere. I hope you don't have a weak stomach because it was in, it was in my clothes, it was on my pillow, it was in my hair, it was on my nose, it went in my mouth. Like it was, it was a pretty intense experience. I was like, well, this is it, God. This is how I go out. Like, please, Abby, don't put this in the obituary like your daughter throw up, you know, took him out. I don't know. But so we, we do what we need to do, right? Like in the middle of the night, we, we get her all situated. We get the bed sheets all changed. You know, we get the pillow changed. We clean the floor. We clean the bed stand next to, I mean, it, it went everywhere. I told you. And then uh, I eventually got into the shower and scrubbed three layers of my skin off as well. This is not a fun thing, right? It's not an enjoyable thing. But I believe in my, you know, the depth of my heart that it was worse because it was in the middle of the night. Like you, you wake up or you, you're just like struggling in the middle of the night. And when we're in the middle of the night, it's like our minds trick us. You know, that maybe we're all alone or maybe there's no one there to help you or, you know, b- because you're all by yourself, that things are maybe worse than we think that they actually are or that the morning is never going to come and things are never going to get better. And maybe for you, it isn't something as fleeting as maybe a stomach bug. Have you ever had a night like that, though? A dark night, a difficult night. You know, sometimes, you know, those nights, maybe they seem pleasant at first. Maybe you don't know that they're coming or maybe you're dreading when the night's going to come. But the night, it gets darker and darker and the struggle and the suffering and the distress, it kind of just sets in. And honestly, I'll take the stomach bug over a sleepless night every single time. See, have you ever in the middle of the night felt the whole weight of the world is on you? when everyone else is asleep. You know, the weight that you don't know how things are going to turn out or you don't know where to turn. I remember several nights like that. I remember one night was the night that my wife Abby gave birth to our son Asher. And he ended up in the NICU that night and it was 3 a.m. And I sat in this empty hospital room and I was staring at the ceiling and I was begging and I was crying and I was praying and I was hoping and I felt so helpless. I felt so small. I felt so weak. And maybe you've been in that exact type of situation. You're in a hospital. You're praying for a loved one or for yourself to make it through the night. Maybe they don't even. See, that that's a heavy night. Maybe you have been at home and you're just hoping against hope that your kid isn't doing God knows what with God knows who, going God knows where. You know, maybe you're wrestling with what you did that day or what you said that day 
or how you feel right now in the moment. You're playing a conversation back over and over and over again. Or maybe you're playing that confrontation back and you're like, I should have said this and they should have said that and I should have done this. Or maybe when you lay your head down on that pillow, for some reason all these feelings or reminders of abuse or reminders of pain or reminders of of mental illness or reminders of where you fall short or whatever just come flooding back and maybe you have a decision to make and you're like I just can't get through it and you go over and over and over it at night or maybe you have a bill to pay and you don't know how it's going to get paid and no matter which way you turn it over that thing that weight that hurt that darkness in the middle of the night you just don't know what to do with it you pray about it you interact with it nothing seems to impact it And it's like anguish or distress. You don't know how to describe this weight that just doesn't go away. And maybe you're like me, and on those dark nights, you pray, God, will you you just take this away? Will you just make it better? Now, we're in a series that we're calling The Week That Changed the World. And we're talking about some things that happened to Jesus the week leading up to Easter. And today, we're going to be talking about how Jesus actually navigated one of these really dark nights. Now, we're going to spend most of our time in the book of Matthew, which is in the second half of the Bible in the New Testament. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Gospel means good news. It's just talking about the life and ministry of Jesus. And we're going to spend all of our time in Matthew 26. Now, here's the context. Here's kind of what you need to know so we can pick up the story. This week that we're talking about started with Jesus being treated like a king. We sometimes call it Palm Sunday or triumphant injury. And there are palms and they're like, yeah, he's awesome. Let's go. Reed talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And then right after that, Jesus gathered together his followers, his disciples, sometimes they're called, to have what we call the Last Supper. And Jerry talked about that last week. So right after they had the Last Supper they started to walk towards this place called the Mount of Olives. And on the way, Jesus and one of his disciples, Peter, had this conversation about how Jesus is going to be deserted by all of his disciples that very night. And Peter's like, nah, dude, that's not going to happen. No way am I going to desert you. And Jesus is like, "Uh, yeah, you will. I'm Jesus, and I'm saying that this is going to happen. And Peter's like, I will never desert you. And then the other disciples said the same thing. They're like, we will never desert you. And then that's where we're picking up this story of a dark night. So this is Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. If you have the app, you go to the message notes part of that. And all of these verses are there. I'd encourage you to follow along. So check this out. Matthew 26, starting verse 36. So then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. So he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. That's what he said to Peter and James and John. And this seems heavy. Now it is the middle of the night. And when I read this, words like anguished and distressed kind of stick out to me. He describes maybe how I feel in the middle of the night. And he even says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. He's not exaggerating. He felt it so deeply that he kind of lost his breath. He's being crushed. Now, one way that we can translate the word Gethsemane, the garden where he is, is it literally means oil press. 
And so what people would do kind of in that area is they would press the oil so firmly it would destroy the olive to get the olive oil out of it. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, I feel like I'm being destroyed right now. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like in the middle of the night there's just no way out? It's okay. Jesus felt that way too. He didn't want to be alone even. He brought some of his closest friends. He's distressed. He's anguished. See, Jesus can relate to suffering. And check this out, verse 39. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground. I mean, he got all the way down to the ground and he's praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. See, he's praying, God, please take this suffering away. Just like maybe you and I would pray. And if anyone knows if God has the power to do something, it's Jesus, right? Here's what we can learn from this. See, it is okay to pray for suffering to go away. Jesus did it. Do you ever feel guilty for asking God to kind of show up in a, in a time like that? I, I, I do sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, I just need to pray more. I need to be stronger. I need to be better. I need to put more energy in. Have you heard this term, pull yourself up by your bootstraps? Have you ever heard that term? What a weird term. Sometimes when I come across like things like that, I, I look them up because I'm a nerd, really. But like I go and look them up and I'm like, where did that come from? And I found out that that came from, you know, like something in the 1800s and it was intended to mean an impossible task but we don't take it that way anymore, do we? We say, no, we need to put more effort in, more time in, more more focus in. We need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, like in the back of the boot, and you're like, Bloop, and then you like you go, go over. Like That's kind of the image that this is. So let's be clear. God knows the suffering that we're going through. And Jesus prayed, God, please take this suffering away. And it's okay to pray for suffering to go away, but God doesn't always answer that prayer at least in the way we want to, or at least the way we hope that he would in the moment. He didn't take the suffering away from Jesus even. But notice how Jesus prays. He doesn't pray, how dare you, God, for putting me in this situation? That's maybe more how I pray. God, I can't believe that you would do this. God, how could you allow this to happen to me? No. He says, if it's possible, Heavenly Father, take it away. And the story continues in verse 40. So he returned to the disciples and he found them asleep. Do you have a friend like that? Are, are you the friend like that, maybe? Like you go and you've said, hey, friends, I'm having a really tough time. I'm having a hard night. Can you just hang out with me? And Peter just said, I will never desert you. And then, you know, Jesus goes off and prays and Peter's like, so this is what happened Jesus said to Peter come on man couldn't you watch with me even one hour like keep watching pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing but the body is weak and I can relate to this so much like when I'm tired or when you're tired like I mean when you're tired like nothing else seems to matter you're like all you think about is trying to go to sleep have you ever been in that cycle when you're going to sleep you're like I want to go to sleep and then it's like no and you're like I really want to go to sleep like this is kind of what's going on. See, our body is so weak, even though we want to, even though our spirit wants to, even though we want to do what is right, we want to respond, we want to. It isn't always the way that it goes. 
See, my behavior doesn't always follow my spirit because I'm weak just like Peter. And then verse 42, then Jesus left them a second time and he prayed the same thing. He says, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. See, Jesus prays it again. He says, take it away again. And on the dark nights, on the desperate nights, see, Jesus, he understands. He understands what it's like to feel all alone. He understands what it's like to feel anguish, darkness, distress. He lived it and he prays it again. He says, take it away. But he landed maybe a different place than I land when I pray a prayer like this. See, I land with God, please. And then I kind of stop, but he landed with your will be done. God, if it's what you want, you are more important. You are my focus. Your will be done. See, this is something that we can learn from this. It is okay to pray for suffering to go away. Jesus did it over and over and over again. But it's better to pray for God's will to be done. And hear me, this is way harder. See, Jesus understands suffering. Jesus understands that God's will is the best place to be, even in the midst of suffering. But I have to admit to you, see, I love God. But that doesn't mean that it's easy to go through what He wants me to go through. It doesn't mean it's easy for me to do what He wants me to do. See, loving God means that we choose to do what God wants us to, even when it's difficult. Even when it's on one of those dark nights. And when I stop and think, you know, I pray the first part of the prayer, you know, take this suffering away, help us make it through, figure this out for us, God. But I don't always get to the second part of the prayer, right? Your will be done. I I had a conversation here recently. Somebody came up and asked me like, hey, why doesn't God take all the bad stuff away when we start to follow Him? Like, shouldn't following God be all rainbows and sunshine? It's a hard question to answer. See, we know that life isn't all rainbows and sunshine. And I actually find hope in the fact that God shows up when it doesn't feel that way. That when we find ourselves on a dark night, that He's there. And we think we're all alone, but we're not because He's with us. And we start to go, God, if you loved me, you wouldn't have allowed this in the first place. And that's not true because He loves us more than we can love ourselves. And see, God's will may lead, will lead through suffering. It's because following God is not easy, but it is filled with hope. See, this is what happens next. And it gets worse, by the way, before it gets better. See, when Jesus returned to the disciples, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. I mean, fool me once, right? So he just kind of let them sleep. He's like, whatever. Like, I, I give up on them. See, but he's not done praying because dark nights are often really long nights, right? So verse 44, so he went to pray a third time, and he said the same things, which means he said, take the suffering away, and your will be done. It's okay to pray for suffering to go away. It's also better to pray for God's will to be done. And verse 45, so then he came to the disciples and said, "Uh, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. Uh Uh-oh, but look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And one of his followers, Judas, had already decided to betray him. 
And Judas shows up. This is verse 47. And even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs, and they had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed. And he gave them the kiss. And Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you come for. And this isn't the main point of the message. I want to point something out, though. If you've ever wondered about the love of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, these two words, my friend, I think illustrate who Jesus is more than a lot of different things do. He's in the middle of looking the person who betrayed him in the eye. He's right there. He just kissed him, which is an insult. Kissing isn't, but the fact that he did that and then betrayed him is. He called him rabbi, which is a sign of respect. The hypocrisy with Judas is thick. And Jesus, the Son of God who knows everything, could have said whatever he wanted to say to this betrayer, this terrible, worst person in history type of person. And what does he say? My friend. So what happens next? See, then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him, but one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father, check this out, don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? It was Peter, by the way. That's the guy who slashed off the ear. I love that. He's like, oh, there's a fight? Let's go. Like, whatever. Notice that Jesus says, hey, if I wanted this to happen, this would have happened. I could have asked God to stop all of this in an instant. And Jesus did ask God to take it away, but he knows that it's better to be in God's will. Every single time he prayed, take the suffering away, he also prayed, but your will be done. It's better to ask for God's will to be done. It's okay to ask for suffering to go away. He understands, Jesus understands, God understands, and sometimes he answers that prayer, but it is better to pray your will be done. And then Jesus asks this. He's like, hey, this is verse 54. Check this out. If I did, if I did ask angels to come down and I did have this spiritual warfare thing to happen, if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? There's an actual answer to that. The answer to that is they wouldn't. What if Jesus hadn't said your will be done? Things wouldn't have turned out the way that they turned out. There would be no cross. There would be no empty tomb. See, we know that Jesus not only prayed, your will be done, but he lived it out. And then verse 55, this is what happened. Then Jesus said to the crowd, am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Because, you know, why didn't you arrest me in the temple when I saw you like a couple days ago? 
I was there teaching, but this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. This is his way of saying, this is God's will. At that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled, just like he said they would. See, everyone who was close to Jesus, Judas, disciples, people who said they would follow him to the death, have either betrayed him or deserted him. When not even one other person would stand with him, this is what he says. He says, look, this is happening because of God's plan. God's will be done. He understands. This happened so that God could save the world. So this is what happens the next couple of days. You know, Gethsemane leads to these trials where the Jewish and leaders and Roman leaders sentenced Jesus to die. We'll be talking about that next week a little bit. Those lead to the cross where Jesus willingly gets up on the cross because of our sin, where we fall short of God's standard because that's been the plan the whole time. And the cross leads to this tomb where he's buried, and the tomb leads to Easter because the tomb is empty, and that's why we celebrate. That's all happening to fulfill God's will. See, here's the main point. See, God's story is a story of suffering redeemed. He knows the story. He's known the story the whole time. He's been writing it for centuries. He knows your story too. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows the weight. He knows the darkness. He knows the hurt. He knows the trouble. He knows the sin. Have you ever read a word your entire life and you've never like looked it up? Redeemed was kind of like that for me. Like I've been in church my whole life and I'm like, I mean, I know how to redeem a coupon, but like what does redeemed mean? And here's what I found out. See, the word redeem would have been used, especially in this context, of purchasing a slave's freedom. And God, in His love and in His goodness, He sent Jesus to the cross. That's God's story, His will. So that if we believe in Him, we will be redeemed. We will be bought out. That we would have freedom Freedom from sin, freedom from suffering, maybe not in this life, but definitely in eternal life. See, God's will is a story of suffering redeemed. If Jesus hadn't said, your will be done, this wouldn't have happened. See, it's not for nothing. It's not for nothing. And in the context of Jesus, actually, it's for everything. So think about the suffering that you feel. Think about the pain that you've navigated. What do you do with that? And we know, we've learned, it's okay to say, hey God, take this suffering away. And sometimes He does. And it's better to say, your will be done. And in God's will, in His story, in your story, this is what I believe is true. This is Romans 8.28. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. God causes everything to work together for your good. Is that true in your life? In the middle of the heartache, in the middle of the brokenness, in the middle of the grief, I believe it is. 
Your will be done is not the easy path. It's not the painless path. It's the hopeful path. Because of where the path ends. Because God's will is a story redeemed. It's suffering redeemed. It's pain redeemed. So what does it look like for you to live your life like suffering is going to be redeemed? Because that is way harder, my friends. And I realize, I acknowledge that there's somebody in this space right now that might be feeling the anguish, the dark night right now. I mean, maybe you still feel the weight of that grief and you're wondering how in the world is this pain, is this grief, is this cancer, is this illness, is this hopeless night turning for good? How is he going to use it for good? And maybe you still feel the weight of something else. Maybe you're depressed and that darkness is closing in on you. And you're like, how is God going to use this for his good? Maybe you still feel the weight of abuse. And you're like, how is God going to use this for his good? Or divorce. And you're like, how is ripping my family apart going to be used for his good? Or maybe you've made some mistakes in your life. And I'm like, I still haven't seen how they're good. Maybe your past is something that you're embarrassed of. And you're like, I don't see how God's going to use it for good or you're in it right now and God's not going to use it for good. How could he? How could he? Let me tell you your future because he will, he will use it for his good. He promises and he has shown us through Jesus and the cross and the grave over and over and over again in our lives. It is hope and joy and peace when we say your will be done. Now it might not feel like it in the moment, but his story is a story of suffering redeemed. And maybe you've experienced a glimpse of that in your story. I'd like for you to hear from a friend of mine who has felt that weight, felt that darkness, and has seen that suffering be redeemed. Uh, My name is Amber, and this is my story. In 2019, my husband and I were expecting our third child, another girl, and we were very happy and excited. Uh, everything was going really well for the first few months and then one day I felt like something wasn't quite right so I went to the doctor and he checked me and he had confirmed that my water had broke and um, at 20 weeks there's not really much that the doctor can do so I was sent home to be put on bed rest. At 24 weeks I delivered our daughter at home. Uh, We named her Hazel. Um, We took her to the hospital, and there she uh, passed um, about two hours after being born. Um, A verse that sticks out to me is Psalm 147.3. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. So after she passed, I uh, felt it put on my heart to help other people uh, in a similar situation. So now I um, put together boxes that have comfort items in them, um, a journal and a letter from me sharing my own personal experience. And um, every year at Garland Brook Cemetery, we do um, a thing called Honoring Hazel, and we take flowers and we put them on all of the grave sites at the cemetery. And um, we even place flowers for Um, babies who may not have a final resting place.
I think without Jesus, I would probably be stuck in my grief. And instead of um, embracing my grief and being able to like process it and move forward, um, I think I would I would probably be stuck. <laughs> um, maybe not being able to take care of myself or my family as well as I'm able to do now because of him. Not only did he put it on our hearts that we wanted to help others, he put it on our hearts to have another baby. In 2022, we had another baby girl and we're very happy and we're very blessed to have her. Um, it doesn't take away from Hazel's memory. Um, I think it just adds to it. We just have another another person, another daughter. We have four children now and um, three are Earthside and one is in heaven with Jesus. And one day we will all be there together and we have the hope that I will, I will get to see her again. How in the world, how in the world does Amber end that story with the word hope? She answers it, only Jesus. She'd be stuck. She said it herself without Jesus. I don't know what weight you feel. I don't know what pain or struggle or heartache or darkness you're experiencing. Here's what I do know. Jesus understands what suffering is like. Jesus understands what it means to surrender everything even though the weight for suffering is crushing. And in your dark night, you're not alone. It might feel like you're alone, but Jesus is with you and you are not alone. And it is okay to pray for it to go away. He did three times. And sometimes that what, that's what God does. But he also prayed for God's will to be done three times. And it's better to be in God's will. And I know that it might not feel like that today. I know it might not make sense today, but I believe that our God is good. And I believe our God is strong enough to be in the midst of our suffering. And I believe that Jesus and the cross provides hope for no more sorrow and no more tears and no more suffering and no more pain. Maybe not in this life, but in eternity. And we, because of Jesus and his hope and his goodness, can pray, your will be done, God, even in our darkest nights. And we can pray, God, your story is a story of redemption. Redeem our stories because Jesus is who he says he is. And because this story at Gethsemane leads directly to the cross, and that cross leads directly to the tomb, and that tomb leads directly to conquering of death and pain and sorrow. See, our hope is because Jesus said, your will be done. My story, your story, Amber's story, is a story of hope because of Jesus. I'd like to pray for us. I admit, Lord, that our dark nights, often we think that we are all alone. 
I have felt that. I'm sure everyone has felt that. And my prayer right now is that you make it so abundantly clear that we are not alone. We're not alone because of this community. We're not alone because of you, Jesus, being with us, loving us right where we are, giving us what we need right where we are because of your love for us. And I'm so glad, God, that you are big enough and powerful enough and good enough that even in the midst of the dark nights that you provide and you give comfort and you give peace and you give hope and that we might have a glimpse, a glimmer of who you are that even on dark nights like this we can remember that you are our light and that we can pray a difficult, scary humbling prayer of your will be done because your will is a story redeemed. Your will is for us to be free from these things. Your will is for hope and goodness and love to live through us, in us, around us, today, tomorrow, and forevermore. We surrender these dark nights to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray today. Amen.